I always think of my granddaddy too on subjects like this. He always says, now you're just meddling, right? So when we talk about things like money, um, it's a sensitive subject for some. And uh, so anyway, let's, uh, let's jump in here. So have you, ever, have you ever thought about or just realized how many verses there are in the Bible about money? So there are over 2,300 verses about money, such topics as wealth, possessions, uh, greed, contentment, and investing. So there's a lot to be said in the Bible about money. So why so many verses? That's a lot of verses. So if you put that in relation to verses on other topics, that's a lot of verses. So why so many? Um, and I'm sure we could speculate on that, but probably because uh, God, God knows that our attitude towards money is an indication of our attitude towards Him and where our hearts are with Him. So we know that we'll either follow God or we're going to follow money. Those are our two choices that He's presented us. And of course He says we cannot serve two masters. So if we fear the Lord, as we should, as we've been talking about this whole lecture series, if we fear the Lord, we better make sure we consider just what it is that He has to say about the subject. So what is money? You ever thought about just what is money? Well, in its simplest form, it's, it's merely a medium of exchange for goods and services um, that a society recognizes. Right? So money itself has no intrinsic value. If I pull a $5 bill out of my pocket, it has no value, right? Except for what the government says it's worth. And really money is only as good as what it gets you. And of course these days we know it doesn't get us as much as it did, what, two or three years ago, right? So um, we need to recognize that money is what it is as far as, you know, just what it gets you, which really isn't a whole lot these days. So for most people, money is, it's just simply necessary for us to live. And for others, it can become much, much more than that. And it seems that, that money is a problem whether we have too little or too much of it. If we look at Proverbs uh, chapter 30, and I'll begin in verse 7. Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 7, it says, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So in other words, if we have too much of it, we may deny the Lord. And if we have too little of it, we may be tempted to steal and blame God for our poverty. So it, it seems that we are better off if we have just enough of it. So, of course, tonight we're talking about managing our money. And before we get into that and talk about how we're to manage our money, how God presents that to us, there are a couple of things that I want us to, um, to realize about money. And so the, the first thing is that money is a gift from God. <clears throat> in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, <clears throat> excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, it says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So we must realize that everything that we have ultimately belongs to God and comes from God. God owns everything. Everything is His. 
course, what we receive comes from Him. And the Bible makes it clear, it makes it very clear that this world and everything in it belongs to God. He is the one who created all things, and therefore all these things belong to Him. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says that the earth is the Lord's, and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. And in other scriptures, we see that God is specific about the things that belong to Him. For example, in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And in Psalm chapter 50 and verse 10, he says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. So everything that we have has been entrusted to us by God, and that makes us merely stewards of these things. And we need to remember what a steward is. A steward is responsible for managing someone else's property and not their own. So God has given us these things and entrusted us with, those, with these things. And this uh, concept of stewardship is crucial within the framework of God's Word, and it has been from the very beginning. If you'll recall, um, in Genesis chapter 1, <clears throat> it says that, in verse 28 says, God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve, man and woman. And he, he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So then God goes on to say in the next few verses that it's He that has given them these things, and that He expects them to take care of them. I was also thinking about, as I was preparing, the, the parable of the talents, right? I think we all remember that story. It's in Matthew chapter 25. We read that, that there was a man who was going on a journey. And if you remember, he, before he left, he called his servants to him. And the word says that he entrusted his property to them. So we see there that he gave each of them a certain number of talents, and he expected them to be good stewards of those things and to manage what they were given wisely. And so two of them, of course, got it right, and one didn't, and it, we know that it didn't end well for that particular person. Um, so there's, there's something else, too, that I think we learn from this parable that, that we often forget, and that is that God in His sovereignty gives some a lot, and He gives some a little, right? So some of us have more than others. That's just the way it, the way it works. And that is God's doings. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 7, we read that the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. And in Proverbs 22 and verse 2, it says that the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So it's God's, through God's sovereignty, that He gives us what we have. And of course, He gives some of us more than others. And so no matter how much we have, no matter how little we may have, we just need to be thankful for what God has given us. And after all, it is a gift from Him, right? Everything belongs to Him. What we have is from Him, and we need to be thankful for those things. So one might say, hey, wait a minute. Now, I work hard for my money, right? We go to work, and we work hard for our money. Some of us probably work a little harder than others. Um, but what about that? 
So, of course, we, we may go to work. We may earn our money by hard work. But it's God, of course, that gives us the strength to work and to make that money. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're cautioned, um, we're cautioned against forgetting God and saying in our heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And so in the very next verse, God says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. So money is simply a reward for the work that God commands us to do. And it's a means of sustaining the life that God has given us. So simply put, we work and God provides. So we can get that in our head. I think uh, that'll go a long way for us. We work, God provides. And the second thing I want to recognize about money is that money is a major temptation. Though, first and foremost, money is a gift from God. The Bible also teaches that it can be a serious temptation. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9. It says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So here we see Paul warning us against allowing the desire of wealth to overtake our contentment with life. And not only that, but we see that money can lead us away from the faith. And so why do you think money is such a serious temptation? Again, there may be other answers than this, but I'm sure um, that it's because we think that money can give us the things that we desire. Things like security, uh, fun, things like fulfillment and power. And we think that these are things that can bring us happiness. But is that true? Can money bring us happiness? We always heard people say, can money buy you happiness? And what do you think about that? Can, can that can money bring us happiness? Well, yeah, in a sense, I guess it can. Um, but we know that these things are only temporary. And really all they do for us is just leaving us wanting more and more. Um, so God teaches us, of course, that if we seek satisfaction in money, if we seek satisfaction in our wealth, we're never going to find it there. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. And we, we see there that it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And who better to pen this little nugget of wisdom than Solomon, the wealthiest man who ever lived? A man whose wealth dwarfed all that came before him and probably all that will come after him. So we will not find satisfaction in money. That's not where it is. All right, so what does then the Bible say about how we're to manage our money? So let's start with looking at some money dues. So here's, here's where the meddling part comes in, right? This is where we start meddling. So let's look at some money dues, and then we'll, we'll move on to some, some money don'ts. 
Okay. So I think there are two main ideas found in Scripture about what we are to do with our money. And of course, the money that God blesses us with. The first one is enjoy your money. God wants us to enjoy the fruits of our labor. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if you're still there, beginning in verse 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse 18 says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find, find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So again, Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, he made this observation that nothing is better for us than to rejoice and to do good in our lives. He also said that it is a gift of God for every man and woman to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all their labor. So God wants us to enjoy our life. That's a good thing, right? He wants us to enjoy the fruit of our labor, to enjoy the things that we work so hard for. But of course, not to excess, right? Because there is something else that God expects us to do with our money besides enjoy it. And that's to be generous with it. We're to be generous with our money. So enjoying our money, that's the easy part, right? We're, we're all good at that. We're all good at enjoying, maybe me not so much sometimes. <laughs> but I like to enjoy things. My family's given me the, no, you don't stare. <laughs> I do. I really do. I do enjoy my money. And again, that, that's the easy thing to do, right? It's easy to enjoy our money. But giving it away, right, being generous with it, giving away, that, that takes some effort, right? But that's what God expects of us. In Psalm chapter 37 and verse 21, it says, The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. And look at the message that Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and notice, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So, Generosity is commended and rewarded throughout the Bible. And when we fear and honor God, and when we walk in His ways by being generous with the things that He's given us, God will bless us. Um, Proverbs 22.9 says that he who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. So who is it that we are to be, get my grammar right, to whom? Are we to be generous? First and foremost, we're to be generous to the Lord. The Lord expects us to be generous to Him. And of course, we've already established the fact that everything belongs to God, so of course He doesn't need our money. But the Lord wants us to honor Him with our wealth and with our first fruits. 
You can find that in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Lord even commands us to lay by and store on the first day of the week as we have been prospered. So, of course, what the Lord really wants from us is not our money, it's our heart. Right? That's what the Lord is really after. And with our heart comes obedience, and with obedience comes honoring Him with our wealth. And it's that wealth that is used to carry out the work of the church. So I think, I think really we could all examine, pause, take and examine ourselves on this, on this point. And we could ask ourselves these questions that might help us. One is, can I give more? And we're talking about giving to the Lord, right? Can I give more? Should I give more? And am I truly honoring God with my wealth? Of course, those are things that only you can answer for yourself, but keep those things in mind. Can I give more? Should I give more? And am I truly honoring God with my wealth? So after we've given to the Lord our first fruits, we're to be generous to our family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul instructs us to care for those in our families who need help, namely the widows in this particular chapter. But in verse 8, he, he issues one of the sharpest rebukes that we find in Scripture. And he says that anyone who does not provide for their relatives have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. Not as bad as an unbeliever, but worse than an unbeliever. So the Bible makes it clear that we have an obligation to take care of our families by providing for their needs. So, a question again, are you generously providing for your family, or are you just giving them the bare necessities? I would like to think that I'm generously providing for my family. But, you know, we can, it, all kidding aside, we can get stingy in a hurry. And especially with our family and those that we love, we might neglect them the most, right? So a good question to ask yourself, are you generously providing for your family? God expects us to do that. So after we provided for our own, we're to provide for others. And that means we're to be generous to the poor and generous to those in need. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, Paul implies that hard work allows us to help those who are less fortunate. And he reminds us of the words of Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we're not to do this out of pity. We're not to do this because we have to. We do this because we want to. We do this out of love. We do this out of love for our neighbor. Loving your neighbor and providing for others is something that God taught His children from the very beginning. In Leviticus chapter 9, God instructed His people, if you remember this, He instructed His people to leave the edges of their fields when they harvested. And why were they to do that? Well, they did that so that the poor would have something to eat. He told them not to strip their vineyards bare. He told them not to pick up their fallen grapes so that some would be left behind for the poor. And in Proverbs 14, 21, it says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. So God expects us to be generous 
to the poor and to those in need. And this generosity to the poor most certainly, and maybe more importantly, extends to the saints in need, right? Our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And this idea of being generous to our brethren in need, to me it brought to mind the churches in Macedonia. If you remember, they gave to the relief of the brethren in Corinth. And Paul says that they gave not out of abundance of their wealth, but they gave out of abundance of their joy. Also out of their extreme poverty. If you remember, these folks didn't, they didn't have much. But they gave, they were joyful when they gave. They gave because they wanted to. They gave because they wanted to support their other brethren in other places who were possibly poorer than they were, right? And that probably says a lot. So we see that, that these brethren weren't coerced to give, but just the opposite. We see it says that they begged to do so. And so here's another question for you. How often do you find yourself begging for someone to take your money to give it to somebody else? recall that time in my life, maybe in a way, if we give, right, when the need arises, maybe in a way we're begging someone to take our money and give it to someone else. But it's a good question to keep in mind. How often do you find yourself begging for someone to take your money and give it to someone else? I don't think anybody here would argue with me when I said that there's no one in this building that is living in extreme poverty, right? None of us here are living in poverty. So surely we can find it within our means to give to our brethren when the need arises. 1 John 3 and verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So we see from this verse that love isn't just words that we say. Love is something that we do. Love has action. So the biblical attitude towards money really is not how much can I get, but how much can I give. So is that your attitude? Is your attitude not how much can you get, but how much can you give? So we can be generous because the Lord says that he will provide for us. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be careful about how we handle our money. We should be very careful to live within our means. And with that in mind, let's look at some money don'ts, if you will. So the first one that I have here is don't go into debt. God does not want his people in debt. Romans 13, if you'll turn there, Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. Romans 13 and verse 7 says, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And in Psalm chapter 37 and verse 21, the first part of that verse says that the wicked borrows and does not pay back. 
And note that this verse doesn't say that the person who borrows is wicked, but rather the one who borrows and does not pay back. In other words, what is condemned is not the borrowing itself, but the failure to repay. So that begs the question, is it wrong to borrow money? I don't think so. I think the answer certainly is no. But we are to be wise about it. And that means that we should make every effort to be able to, within our means, repay the debt according to the terms agreed upon. Being wise, being wise about it also means recognizing that borrowing money automatically creates this servant-master relationship. And we, we find out about that in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7 where it says that the borrower is servant to the lender. So financial debt is really a form of slavery. And if we're trying to grow in our stewardship, then we should strive to free ourselves from this debt or from this servitude that is described here. You know, the reality is that we live in a culture that is drowning in debt. And that, of course, could have negative influence on us if we're not careful. Bob, this morning in his sermon, talked about how the, the, the society and, uh, around us, how it can influence our behaviors and our actions. And when we live in such a culture, it can certainly have a negative influence on us if we're not careful. And with that said, it's almost impossible for us somewhere along the way not to incur some debt. Right? I imagine most of us here have a mortgage, probably owe some money on a car too, right? Um, it's, it's impossible for us not to incur some debt. But realistically, um, if we're not careful, we can easily enslave ourselves through that debt, especially if we're borrowing more than we can afford to pay back. Not only that, but we live in a very materialistic society. And we often seek satisfaction in material things. We often attach too much importance to money and possessions. And it's this kind of attitude that can lead us to debt. So debt becomes a trap. Getting in it takes very little effort. But getting out can be very difficult. So let's work on that. Let's strive not to be in debt. All right, secondly, don't strive to be rich. Proverbs 23 and verse 4 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. So does that mean that it's wrong to get rich? Of course it doesn't. We're just not to put ourselves in that position of continuously working for that. We're not to wear ourselves out to get rich. As the verse says, be discerning enough to desist. So know when it's time to stop. You know, the love of money has destroyed more people than perhaps probably any other one thing. How many times have you heard 1 Timothy 6.10 quoted, at least the first part of that verse, it says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But what about the rest of the verse where it says, For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And in Proverbs 15.27 it says, Who is, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. So this desire to be rich can ruin our relationships with not only our friends and our family, but worse than that, it says that it can ruin our relationship with God, even to the point of being lost eternally. And I don't think that's where we want to be. It's just not worth it. And of course, you don't have to be rich to love money. 
Often those that have the least of it love it the most. And the Bible, too, cautions us against quick and easy ways to get rich. Proverbs 28:22 says, Greedy people try to get rich quick, but don't realize that they're headed for poverty. So instead of striving to be rich, we should really try to strive to cultivate our contentment. What is contentment? Contentment is the biblical virtue of being satisfied with what God has given you. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We need to learn to live on what God provides. God has promised, of course, to provide what we need, but he has not promised that we will live in great abundance. And every Christian should learn to live on what God provides and not be under the pressure because of desire for wealth or material things. If you recall, Paul learned this lesson, right? And he told us about it. He said in Philippians chapter 4, that I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In, every, in, uh, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. As I was preparing, I came across a, a couple of quotes that I thought were really good and I wanted to share with you. This first one, if I told you the name, you probably wouldn't really care who said it. Jeremiah Burroughs. He wrote a book titled The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. This is a quote from him. Now I say that a heart that has no grace and is not instructed in this mystery of contentment knows of no way to get contentment but to have his possessions raised up to his desires. But the Christian has another way to contentment, and that is that he can bring his desires down to his possessions, and so he attains contentment. So we don't bring our possessions to our desires. We go the other way with it. We bring our desires to our possession, and that's how we attain con contentment. And here's another quote. By, by another fellow, he says, If you're satisfied with whatever God gives you, you'll hold it with an open hand. You won't feel the need to clench your fist and hold it close against your body, metaphorically or literally. You won't be so invested in what you have that you're afraid to let go. You won't feel that you must hoard money because you know it comes from God and you can trust Him to provide all you need. If you're content, You'll use your money for good instead of letting it use you for evil. And so that leads us into our next point, and that is don't hoard your money. And of course, it's wise for us to save some of what we've earned for necessary expenses or for emergencies, but that's not the same thing as hoarding. Solomon said, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 13, he said, There is a sickening evil which I have seen under the sun, wealth being hoarded by its owner to his detriment. So whatever reason you have for hoarding money, whether it be because you're afraid of not having it when you need it, or because you just don't want anybody else to have it, in the end it just causes misery. And not only that, but if you're hoarding your wealth, you can't fulfill your obligation to be generous, as we just talked about. You can't fulfill that ob obligation to be generous with what God has given you. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 
beginning in verse 19, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus urges us not to hoard. Jesus urges us to lay up our treasures in heaven and not on this earth. And he tells us in the parable of the rich fool that if we are rich towards God, we won't do this. We won't lay up treasures for ourselves. After all, we can't take it with us when we go, right? So we look at short-term gain versus long-term gain. Short-term gain being Jesus taught his disciples that our earthly treasures are temporal, that our wealth will not last. And our long-term gain would be using our money to serve others, and that invests us in our eternal wealth. Okay. So lastly, don't make money your God. We cannot serve God and at the same time make money our goal in life. Jesus said that it is impossible to serve God and money at the same time. Luke chapter 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and money. Jesus made this really tough statement because he knew that our relationship with God could be deeply impacted by our relationship with money. And money is a terrible master. It can provoke such all-consuming desire that Jesus describes it as would-be masters of our lives. And the Bible warns us time and time again of the danger of money. Jesus called it unrighteous wealth because money is part of Satan's unrighteous world. It's part of his unrighteous world system. And Satan uses money, and he's good at it to lead people away from God. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9 but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And then Jesus also said a few verses earlier, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So money can control us and money can master us by ruling over our hearts. So that's it. A few do's and don'ts on how God expects us to manage our money. And of course, it's certainly easier said than done. And those specifics of how you do or don't do those things are up to you. No one can help you with that. So to sum it up, I'll leave you two things. One is, and again, I'll draw your attention to the parable of the talents. We better realize that it doesn't matter to God how much we have, but what we do with it. And what we do with it has eternal consequences. I'm going to say that again. We better realize that it does not matter to God how much we have, but what we do with it. And what we do with it has eternal consequences. And then the second thing, we are not owners of what God has given us. We are merely stewards. And if we can truly learn this concept, and I mean if we can truly internalize the fact that we are not owners but stewards of what God has given us, then it will have a profound effect on how we use our money. So, 
by way of invitation, and we don't want to miss an opportunity to do that. Let me make one more observation about money, and that's this. Money promises security, but it cannot protect us against God's judgment. Proverbs 11 and verse 4, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So our wealth, however much we have, or however little we have, is going to profit us absolutely nothing in the day of judgment. We certainly cannot buy our way into heaven. It's not how it works. We're told to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That and only that is our security against God's judgment. So there is a day of judgment coming. Where is your trust? Is your trust in your riches? Or is your trust in your God? So if you haven't put your trust in God and you're ready to commit to Him tonight, now is your opportunity to do so. We stand and sing.